And New York Focus has a series of articles focusing on the New York Court of Appeals. The latest is new pro-defendant decision signal C change at New York's top court, chronicling a significant shift for the state's highest court. The author of that article, New York Focus reporter Sam Mellons, is on the phone with us now. Sam, welcome back to the local edition. Oh, good to be here, Jason. Thank you. So we're going to talk about the changes in the types of rulings that you've noticed coming out of the Court of Appeals, but can you set the story up for listeners by uh, telling us more about the court itself? Yeah, the Court of Appeals is the highest state court in New York. It's the final word on all matters of state law, anything from when police can stop someone's car to when a, an employee is entitled to compensation for a workplace accident. It's made up of seven judges, and it uh, meets for most of the year in Albany. And recently, there's been changes to the personnel on the court, right? Right. So I think it makes sense to go back to uh, summer 2022, when Chief Judge Janet DeFiore unexpectedly resigned from the court, leaving an opening for the the court's uh, head. Uh, That post, after a bitter political fight where the state Senate rejected Governor Kathy Hochul's first nominee, Hector LaSalle. That post was filled in April by Judge Rowan Wilson, uh, who has was actually already on the court as one of the associate judges. So that left a vacancy for his spot. And that was filled uh, same month in April by Judge Caitlin Halligan, who had been a lawyer in private practice and uh, you know very respected and highly thought of litigator. And she is now one of the associate judges of the Court of Appeals. Does anybody know exactly why uh, DeFiore resigned, and does that play into the the politics and the functioning of the court at all? A lot of people have focused on the fact that uh, there was an ethics investigation ongoing into some of her conduct when she resigned, some of her, and whether she had uh, abused her authority as a judge to try to get a uh, certain officer of the court disciplined. Uh, but that investigation never came to its conclusion, and we don't know what would have happened if it did. But that's one reason that some observers have pointed to. So what's been happening in New York's top court? you think that is becoming more open-minded about the rights of people accused of crimes? Definitely more favorable to the rights of defendants. Janet DeFiore, the former chief judge, led this sort of block of like-minded judges during towards the end of her time on the court that was very much in favor of prosecutors' arguments as opposed to defendants. In her last year on the court, um, every time that the judges disagreed on a, on a criminal trial where some, so, so, some sided with the prosecution and some sided with the defense, the prosecution won every time a majority of the judges led by DeFiore. Defendants lost every single one of those cases. And when we look at the last few months on the court with Rowan Wilson now as the chief judge and Caitlin Halligan taking his spot on the court. That's no longer true at all. We, we use the, the, word, the phrase sea change in our article. And uh, defendants, it seems so far, now have a much better shot at winning their cases, making arguments like they weren't well represented by their lawyers or the police came into their home without a warrant so that, so they, that the search was illegal. The, the new composition of the court is much more favorable to those arguments than it was a year or two ago. So now tell me about Judge Caitlin Halligan and the role that she's playing in these changes that you're noticing. So a lot of these cases 
uh, concerning the rights of people accused of crimes are very close. It's a seven-member court. A lot of them are coming down four to three. And to be sure, some of them are coming down seven to zero or six to one, so it's not any one vote that makes the key difference. But a lot of the cases are, are very closely divided, and um, Halligan has been voting in many recent cases with the more liberal judges in favor of defendants. So you could say cast in the deciding vote. I mean, you could say any of the four are cast in the deciding vote. But as the newest member of the of the court and the sort of the least known, uh, we thought it was particularly notable in our coverage to focus on which which side she had been leaning towards. And it seems like not without exception. Sometimes she sides with the prosecution in close cases too. But in a bunch of notable cases recently, she sided with the defendants. And you mentioned that she was like the least known. What does that mean? And what are you learning about her? So the other judges of the of the court have been on the court for longer. So we've gotten some time to get used to their styles and their, their tendencies on the court. But also before, many of them before they joined the court were judges of some sort. Uh, judge Shirley Troutman, for example, was a judge in an appeals court upstate. Judge Madeline Singus, she wasn't a judge, but she was a prosecutor in Nassau County. She was the district attorney there. So that gave some idea of how she would approach criminal cases on the bench, you know, uh, inclining much more towards the prosecutor's side. Um, Caitlin Halligan had never served as a judge before and had been had spent uh, m- much of her career, certainly recently, as a lawyer in private practice. So it was more unclear how she would approach these kinds of cases. And so that was why we were paying particularly close attention to the way she was going to vote when she joined the court a few months ago. And how are people reacting to this? Um, well, some uh, there's been a sort of a growing movement over the past few years among uh, criminal justice advocates and defense lawyers and some academics who have said, and this is something that we've reported on a lot, who have said the court is getting too conservative. It's out of step with the values of New Yorkers who tend to be liberal, tend to elect Democrats, have elected a supermajority of Democrats to both houses of the state legislature. And the New Yorker's top court should reflect that. Um, and I think that side of the political discussion is very cheered by what's going on and, and sees this as a really positive development for New Yorkers. Uh, for this article, I also talked to several state senators. Uh, I mentioned that the state Senate uh, rejected the initial nominee to replace Chief Judge Janet DeFiore over concerns that he is a judge named Hector LaSalle over concerns that he was too conservative. And the state senators that I talked to, like the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, uh, Brad Hoyleman-Siegel, or the deputy majority leader, Michael Gianaris, they're also very pleased with the way things are going. And they think that uh, by uh, putting Halligan on the top court, they've you know, uh, pushed New York towards, further towards the direction that they want to see things going. Okay. And can you give us some examples of some of the rulings that, that you're looking at, to, that you're reacting to, and that now you know other folks are reacting to as well? Can you give us a couple examples? Yeah. So one example is there was a case where uh, police are, are trying to arrest a certain man. They go to the building where he lives. It's a two-family house. They don't have a warrant. In general, you, if you want to enter someone's house, you know, U.S. constitutional law says you need a warrant to do that if you want to enter their house to search it or to arrest them. They don't have a warrant. They go into the sort of the little vestibule that isn't his house. It's in the building, but it's not his house. Someone who, He doesn't let them in. Someone else lets them in. 
they're in the vestibule. They look into the his unit. The door is open. They see the person that they think they're trying to arrest. They go in and arrest him. And he says, this was illegal uh, because you didn't you entered my house without a warrant. You could have gone to a judge and gotten a warrant and gotten the judge to allow you to come in. And that then that would have been a legal entry. But if you do that without a warrant, that violates the Constitution. This went all the way up to the top court, to the Court of Appeals, and they agreed with him. They said, this police search was illegal. You have to send this back to the lower court and give this man another trial. Uh, and there's a, a lot of uh, sort of similar cases like that. There was another, four, uh, this was one of the closely divided 4-3 rulings that I mentioned where Halligan sided with the defendant, where a defendant had been had committed and been convicted of unlawful imprisonment of a minor. And because of this crime, he was required to register as a sex offender, because New York law defines this as a sex crime. And he protested this, saying, my crime didn't, it wasn't a sexual offense. It didn't have any, there was no sexual contact involved. And being a sex offender comes with these uh, sort of negative connotations and restrictions on where you can live. So he said, it violates my rights to make me register as a sex offender when my crime didn't have anything to do with a sexual offense. And the court agreed with him and removed the sex offender designation. In your article, you point out that Judge Halligan has voted for new trials for defendants in certain situations. Can you talk about what that means? Right. So that's one of the sort of the remedies that uh, that uh, uh, the Court of Appeals or, you know, higher courts have when they find that someone has been unjustly convicted or convicted in ways that, uh, you know, that where part of the case against them violated the law, like this illegal entry into this man's house to search it. They can say, they can send it back to the lower court and say, uh, since the things that were used to convict this person uh, were partly against the law, you need to do this trial over and exclude those things and see whether the conviction still stands without those things. So that that will be happening in several of these cases that the Court of Appeals has heard recently. You also make note that even though you're noticing these changes on the court, there isn't really a solid liberal group that isn't a fully liberal court. Uh, is, is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, that is what I'm trying to say. What it means is... Uh, you know, sometimes on uh, on courts, you get a group of judges who stick together really tightly and are almost able to control the outcomes of cases in whatever way they want because they have a majority, they stick together, they, they always rule on the same side, and they, they sort of, you can see them working together. Some people say this is what's going on on the United States Supreme Court now, where the uh, more conservative judges have a majority. And we don't see something like that on the Court of Appeals right now. There are more liberal judges, there are more conservative judges, uh, but it's not the case that either side consistently wins or really seems to have control over the court's decisions. Right. So New York State Court of Appeals, it's the highest court in the state, uh, but the U.S. Supreme Court in Washington, that's the highest court in the nation. So can any of these rulings be appealed to the Supreme Court? And with the somewhat liberal shift that you're noticing in the tone of its rulings, is the New York Court of Appeals now going to be increasingly at odds with the more conservative-leaning U.S. Supreme Court? I am pretty sure the way this works, and if, uh, if you have law professors among your listeners, maybe they can uh, call in if I get any of the finer points wrong. 
But I'm pretty sure the way this works is that the United States Supreme Court is the final word on the United States Constitution, which is how some of the cases of the Court of Appeals are decided using United States constitutional law. And if a case goes to the Supreme Court, that that can be overturned. But the the Court of Appeals is the final word on the New York state constitution. We have our own. Every state does. Uh, and those cases are not subject to review by federal courts, including the Supreme Court. And one thing that we've seen in recent decisions, and I think we may continue to see, is an increasing reliance from the Court of Appeals on New York state constitutional law and thinking about ways to preserve the rights of New Yorkers under New York state constitutional law, perhaps because of this conservative turn on the Supreme Court with, I actually heard uh, Judge Chief Judge Rowan Wilson speak last week, and he said, uh, when I was growing up, uh, he, he's, he, he happens to be black, and he said, when I was growing up and during the civil rights movement, we associated states' rights with segregationists and George Wallace and, and all that. But now, with the way the Supreme Court is, I find that I've become a bigger proponent of states' rights. And for him, that means uh, the tradition of New York state constitutional law. So I think we may see an increasing focus on that in the coming years. Ah, so so even if the jurisdictions don't necessarily overlap between the Supreme Court and New York State Court of Appeals, the, the what's happening in the Supreme Court can change how people regard the work of the New York State Court of Appeals. Certainly. And then there's some cases where, where, you know, the, the cases themselves overlap or the cases themselves influence each other. But then there's some cases where the, where it's more that the overall trends are influencing each other rather than the specific cases. Yeah. Sam, is there anything else you want folks to know about this story and your, your take on all of this? Well, just that uh, we're going to continue covering the Court of Appeals. I think it's a really interesting time with all these changes and, uh, we're going to keep reporting on it, and folks should check out New York Focus to stay up to date. Yeah, and that uh, leads right into my final question for you, which is what what's next for you as a reporter? What story are you working on next, if you're able to give us any hints? Yeah, well, looking looking a little bit further ahead, um, you know, the New York State Legislative Session runs basically in the first half of the year from January to June, where they have to work out a budget with over $200 billion of spending in it and all kinds of other uh, statewide political issues. So we're, we're one of the things we're doing right now is we're gearing up for that to start again and thinking about um, what are going to be the major issues this year and trying to tack- tackle some of the serious problems the state faces with things like uh, housing and adapting to climate change and uh, any number of other issues. So folks should stay tuned for that. All right, Sam Mellons, thank you so much for going over all this with us. Great to be here, Jason. Thank you. The article is New Pro-Defendant Decisions Signal Sea Change at New York's Top Court. It's up now at WJFFradio.org. We've been speaking to the reporter who wrote it, Sam Mellons, from New York Focus. And they're online at nysfocus.com. That's nysfocus.com. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're talking Sullivan County Youth Services. Stay with us.